When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just like that, the final hour is here on this Thursday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. We are powering through today, Hutton. Mowing it down. Mowing it down. Powering through. Getting you to 6 o'clock Eastern, uh, ready for your drive home, hopefully, if you're listening on this great radio partner. If you're watching live on YouTube, we appreciate that. You can watch on demand as well. Search out Outkick, hit the subscription, uh, give us the thumbs up, pound that, plus uh, hit the, uh, ring that bell. Hit the bell. And you'll know when we go live or any of the programs uh, here on OutKick. Uh, plus, uh, check out all the great work at OutKick.com. Chad, uh, I find it easy yet unsettling mentally for me that I like Steve Cohen, Mets owner, who's you know opening up the bank, the payroll, paying the luxury tax times, whatever, to go out and try to win and win at a high level. Normally, I hate the billionaire owners that are all in to, to you know, just take over and win because most of the time, those teams do win. So yeah. I think part of this is they're losing, and I like the comments being made. And I fully admit, I don't like the fact that I'm saying that Cohen's cool with me right now because they're an abject failure as a franchise despite all of the accolades individually that they've purchased and bought over the last offseason. Um, but I find it hard to disagree or hate anything that he said yesterday in regards to management, uh, you know, the, what we've seen uh, from Showalter, to whether or not they're going to trade certain players versus not. The, the quotes that are out there is just, I mean, I, I really like the guy. Yeah, I, I think he, he, he's got a, at the, he's at got a deadline, pretty level head about it yeah, for the, a guy who's spending that much money. Yeah, but and losing after spending that much money. Yeah. He, he's, he's saying, hey, I'll watch every single game. It's maddening. He's like, if we don't get better, we have decisions to make at the deadline. But he also fully admits... By the like, way, they are 36-44, and 44, which now is 17 games <laughs> behind the Braves. The Braves have been on an absolute tear in the month of June. The Braves also have been on a tear. So have the Marlins in June. Who are on a tear? They played this the, weekend. The Padres suck too, and they're what number two in spending, I yep. believe. But they're like a hundred million behind Cohen on what they've spent. They are a half a game uh, better than the the Mets. Okay. The Padres are thirty seven and forty four. I, I read what he's saying, and I'm thinking I would love to be a fan of a team that had this guy running things and was all in to this degree, but also was analytical instead of emotional. You know, like. I also, I mean, I don't blame the owners that are like, hey, I'm paying all this. Showalter, you're, you're out. We're months into this. We're awful. Uh, I deserve better. It's not the fa- I deserve better based on what I'm paying. He's already said, like, I already consider this money spent. They're trading off players or could trade off players that uh, they're going to eat the vast majority of the contracts just to get something in return and, and bolster whatever farm system they have. And he's got the majority of the players that 
be available at the trade deadline, specifically in the bullpen or in the starting rotation, Chad, those guys have no trade clauses and they've already been paid guaranteed salaries. And he's still saying like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, reactionary off the cuff. I'm going to sit back and, and let management handle this, what I hired them to do. We have the players necessary to win. We're just not doing it now and we can't react if we don't know exactly why that is. But their, their postseason percentage chances of making it to October uh, is 22% uh, in Vegas, which means they're not likely to do that. They're, what, 17 games back of the Braves? 17 games back. Yeah. Uh, are you as surprised as I am based on uh, all shocked. the money spent and the, the amount, $344 million in, in payroll in this year alone, that we're sitting here at the end of June going into very soon the All-Star break, and it's just kind of a, well, I've made an investment and I'm going to ride this thing out instead of selling and figuring it out again a year from now, which he could do. Let me, let me start by saying I still believe there is a run in the Mets. Okay. I don't know what that run generates. I'm not saying it's a playoff team, but they're going to have a good month. Life. At some point. Yeah, they're going to show signs of life. They're going to get above 500. They're eight games below right now, and they're going to – threaten for a playoff spot. I think at some point that roster they're paying too much money for it. It's too good to not do more than what they've done so far. I don't know how you don't like Steve Cohen. If you're a Mets fan, I mean, that's what every fan of a team wants in their ownership, the ability and the willingness to spend money to better the team and better the product. And he does also does not strike me as a guy who is a Jerry Jones type that's going to overly meddle in everything. Now, does he go, you know, for the Justin Verlander, you know, or someone like that because of name, and he just goes to his guys and says, "Hey, I want to outbid everyone for this player." Uh, that's an older player, right? Maybe he does some of that, and that kind of goes against his management of his farm system and everything else. I, I don't know. But how could you not love them if you're a Mets fan? Because you know you're going to have unlimited resources. And I, and I realize, like it's, uh, I, I say I'm conflicted and torn because I would rip apart Steinbrenner, you know, if they're if they're losing at this uh, at this rate. Uh, and I do find it a bit humorous, but I also think because they're losing, I he's more believable, you know, instead yeah. of just if they're winning, well, they're supposed to win, and the way he's handled it is just different than the way like. If we're just going to compare New York to New York, Woody Johnson would handle it or will handle it if Robert Sala isn't winning by October, uh, by Halloween, right? This year with the Jets based on what they've done this offseason. Um, it's, it's refreshing, but I think it's only refreshing for a very short amount of time. And then, then you, you make Epler's apparently safe, uh, their GM, and then he's already said that Showalter's not going anywhere uh, before the end of the season. He's not going to be fired. Who knows about the deadline? Uh, but man, I, I I don't understand how all-star teams that put together these super teams can't go up to the plate and hit the baseball or can't throw and locate pitches because of the individual aspect of baseball compared to the team aspect of whatever the Washington Redskins tried to do, you know, a decade or so ago, or what you can see in the NBA where it doesn't always work out and the bickering and the, the finger pointing begins to happen uh, on a night in night out basis you would think that it's more routine than not and it just hasn't been the case for them 
Well, and there are years where just, you know, baseball uh, kind of reflects life in a lot of ways. Things just don't go your way. You know, they, yeah. don't, they don't go right, and it's hard to explain it. I'm talking with my cousin last night, diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. Cardinals are terrible. And I watched some of their game on MLB Network last night with Bob Costas on the call, and they just fell apart. You know, they had a, an older relief pitcher come in, gave up five runs. They're up 7-5 to five in the eighth against the Astros. Give up three homers and five runs before pulling the relief pitcher. And this guy's just been terrible all year, and he's just lost it. He's an older pitcher that just doesn't have it anymore, and that can be said about the Cardinals. They just don't have it this year. And they were the odds-on Vegas favorites to win the NL Central before the season started, and they're not close. And I kind of feel the same way about the Mets. We all thought the Mets were going to be in contention for the NL East or win the division throughout based on their investment in the roster. And that has not come close to happening this you know, year. But I don't blame Steve Cohen for that. No, he, he, took, he took the blame, though. He was like, if you're going to blame anybody, blame me. I'm the one who paid and I signed the I think every guy. public statement he's made, I've agreed with, for you the most part. And just thinking out loud here, he reminds me of an owner in a small market, not in New York. I think yeah. that's why it's so surprising. He because just happens to be willing to spend this, more than anyone in any small market ever. Think about Mets fans today and what they're discussing compared to what, the, what Steve Cohen said yesterday, quote, I'm a patient guy, okay? Now, everybody wants a headline. Everybody says, fire this person, fire that person. But I don't see that as a way to operate. If you want to attract good people to this organization, the worst thing you can do is be impulsive and win the headline on that specific day. I mean, it's well said. Is that in Kansas City or is that in New York? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a smart dude. I mean, I also think, you know, just crazy kind of how baseball's turned out this year, but Nick Castellini, who's the president and co-owner of the Cincinnati Reds, remember just a year ago, a year ago in April, on a local radio station, was talking about how if fans want me to sell the team, to who? Like, ask yourself what would happen. Like, how could this team be in a better spot from a market standpoint to make money and succeed? And stay. It would be to leave this yeah, city. And yeah. he pissed off the entire city of Cincinnati, which, oh, by the way, has the oldest baseball franchise in America. That's the oldest team going back the longest is Cincinnati having a pro baseball team. And he's saying that. And a year later, it's all hit in one month where they're in first place and playing great baseball with a very young roster. Pretty cool to see. Flip side of that, the Mets spending way more money than the Cincinnati Reds would ever spend, and they're in the tank right now. Meanwhile, across town, Herman with the perfect game last night. That was a weird scene happening in Oakland in front of about 17 people. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the celebration on the field when he had the perfect game, yeah. Herman did, but it was so odd because I felt like it was COVID times, <laughs> and they were having to like pipe in crowd yeah, noise. You know, like there was oh, some open. crowd noise, but like <laughs> I feel like they had to go in and crank up some crowd noise to act like this was a big moment when there was no one in the in the stadium except for probably Yankees fans in the Bay Area. Did Rob Manfred release a statement and point that out about A's fans not showing up for the perfect game? <laughs> I'd like to take this time to bash <laughs> A's fans for not being more supportive of a visiting pitcher throwing a perfect game against this double-A club. Yeah. That's out on the field. A great crowd. Uh, most of them are Yankees fans because they're on the road. Congrats. I watch a team as bad offensively as the A's are, though. And I think we've got one of these teams almost every year in Major League Baseball. How in the world do we not see more perfect games? There's been less than 30 in the history of Major yeah. League Baseball. That's like still 24 nuts or to me. Yeah. 
But like you get a guy on a great night and you get a lineup as bad as the Oakland A's. But the Oakland A's play 162 games every year. And there's always an Oakland A's out there. That's really a double or triple A team playing Major League Baseball. It's like uh, And it's amazing to me it doesn't line up more where you don't get more 20 I'm not saying it should happen, you know, every month. Well, it's like But it, 27 up, 27 down feels like it should happen more. The awful, you know, and just thinking out loud, the awful quarterback play in the NFL and what we saw from the Ofer season with the Cleveland Browns. Like as horrible as they are, we've seen moments of franchises be worse than not much worse, but on par with the basement bare minimum given based on roster and, and overall talent acquired. Uh, it, it's surprising that you don't see more teams that just don't win a game based on the talent across the league and divisions that they play in. Same equivalent there. I'm with you, though. I would expect a lot more, uh, maybe not a lot more, significantly more than you know the 20-plus that have happened over the course of the history of the game. Herman's one of them now. What a moment. And that's a team aspect thing, too. You know, the pitcher's going to end up being at the headline of that. But I, everything, I've often thought, like, it, so the, it ended, the perfect game ended with a grounder at the third, I believe. Yeah. In the moment, what that guy's thinking. Like, yeah. some guys want the ball, some guys don't. And, I mean, I, I would everything hate, is on the line, would hate man. to be the one to screw it up late in the game. If you were the one that throw had the air. One's yeah. in the dirt or Anything. something. First baseman can't pick it Yeah, at first. Oh. oh, that's a terrible feeling. Or like we've seen before, the umpire just makes a terrible call. You know what I'm rooting for? for uh, what I'm rooting for now, Hutton? I want the Oakland A's to break the record for being perfect gamed the most in one season. <laughs> Who else will throw a perfect game against this A's team this year? That's what I want their lasting image as they walk out of Oakland to be, that they gave up. They allowed more perfect games than any team in Major League Baseball history. Not but happening one down, today. One down. Let's let's see it happen again. Not happening today. Currently, uh, it's four three Yankees over the A's well, in the sixth. That's not the case currently. Trying to get a win for the Yankees, who are eight games above five hundred right now, as we uh, get set to go into July. Chad, um, we are seeing more suspensions across the NFL for the gambling policy. Um, the gambling policy, which includes if you bet on the league, you're suspended indefinitely. You can apply to be reinstated next year after the season has concluded. Isaiah Rogers, among them, the corner and kick returner for the Indianapolis Colts, according to reports, Adam Schefter and others, saying that he, he bet on the league. He's already admitted that a couple of weeks ago, but bet in, in one case $1,000 on a prop that a Colts running back on a, a over-under yardage for the season uh, for a Colts running back. That we're on board with with the policy. But the policy that has suspended a handful, I believe three players for six games right now, suspended three players where it's legal in the state to place a bet on a, a sports wagering app of their choice. Uh, we've got the full list here. Nicholas petit Frere, right tackle for the Titans, is the most recent. Jamison Williams and, and Stanley Berryhill are the other two that have been suspended for, for six games for non-NFL bets, but it's done at work. That's the way Schefter refers to this, but it's on NFL property, which can include a bus, uh, sitting in your car and using the Wi-Fi from the team facility in the parking lot, whatever. Um, that's where it's extremely punitive and where this is going to come back, I think, to the, the negotiating table and they have to come up with a better policy than whatever's happening right now because the players chat are saying that they don't really understand it, even though that's not a good excuse. 
based on the way this was agreed upon, where the NFLPA allows the NFL to come up with this policy that's currently in place without it being collectively bargained a year ago. And no one wants this. Both no. sides. Players, right. Players Association, NFL. No one wants guys getting popped for lengthy suspensions because of sports gambling. The league doesn't want it because they want no sense of impropriety at any time for their league with gambling. And the players obviously don't want it because it's money out of their pocket. Agents don't want it. Coaches don't want it. They lose assets that they can play with on Sundays. I mean, come on. This is not good for anyone. Just cut it down to don't bet on the NFL, period. And that's very easy for everyone to understand. Hopefully they come to that conclusion. Also, just keep this in mind. The number of players listed that have been suspended for the full season or three that have been suspended for, for six games, it's not that lengthy of a list. I would say if we had the truth serum out there of everyone that's done this, either knowingly or unknowingly, and it's violated the policy, the list would be lengthy. So this isn't detrimental to the league. It can be detrimental to a team, though, if it happens at the wrong time, at the wrong position for the star player. Ray Horton joins us next. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, coming up on Saturday, year two is about to be in the books. Another successful season for the USFL Speaking on Fox of time flying, and NBC. Hutton. I know, yeah. Uh, championship game for the USFL in Canton. Saturday, 8 o'clock Eastern on NBC and Peacock. It is Pittsburgh taking on Birmingham. Stallions trying to defend their title against the Maulers and the head coach after what was a very exciting victory last week. Ray Horton joins us, head coach of the Pittsburgh Maulers and a former defensive coordinator in the NFL, Super Bowl champion there as a coach and, of course, as a player with the Cowboys, looking for another title on, on Saturday. Coach, good to see you, man. Hope things are well, and congrats on uh, making it to the title game here. Good to be seen, especially prepping for the uh, championship game. And I see you guys are in Nashville, yeah. uh, one of my favorite towns uh, down on the strip down there, right next to, I guess it was Nissan Stadium. Pretty soon it's going to be Super Bowl, maybe 62 Stadium if it if it passed. Oh, yeah. Is it going to be 62? Is that what you're hearing? <laughs> well, that's just me. I, you know, I have no on that, but I'm saying get this stadium done and let's get the uh, Super Bowl down there. Hey, Chad was joking earlier, um, you know, the, the Stallions here are looking for a, a dynasty right out of the gate uh, as the USFL kicks off again last year. And I, I was saying, hey, maybe Pittsburgh can take over that, uh, that mantra uh, with a victory in, in the title game against Birmingham. You know, Skip did an outstanding job last year, you know, putting all the pieces together in the inaugural season is it's not easy. You know, you have so many moving parts and, you know, logistics and team and where you're practicing at, where you eat at. Uh, Skip did an outstanding job. And, you know, obviously he's continued that this year. But, uh, you know, we like our team, too. Is there a perception you had of the league that you were proven wrong with after taking the head coaching job? You know, I don't know if I really did have a preconceived notion. Uh, I was blessed that my son was here last year with Coach Kirby Wilson, who I coached Great with. Great guy, coach. yeah. So, you know, I would talk to them once a week, once every other week. 
And, you know, they would fill me in on what was going on. I went to a couple games. And then when they offered me the opportunity to work with my son, you know, I jumped at it. And so I really leaned on Jaron to help me with the ins and outs, the day-to-day, doing the schedule, who the players are, how it works. So I, I had, I guess I would say, a crutch in that I could I could lean on Jaron. But it's still different until you get here because you haven't experienced it yourself. And the thing I found out that's true is just like true north is that you're still dealing with a football field that's 100 yards long by 53 wide and you're dealing with players that really love the game yeah and and that's uh, i wanted to ask a question about that because you know you've seen it at, at different levels you know you were a you were a college football player you've been around that game you've been in the nfl and now you're coaching here is there a through line through leading players in this game of football that you find consistent no matter what level you are around in the game? Yes. And I, I say it's athletes, you know, because I have some nieces that play, you know, softball and some friends, some young girls on the European uh, tour, ladies European tour. So they're athletes. They want to be better. They want you, if you're the coach, to get them better. And sometimes that's by driving them. Sometimes that's by giving them a pat on the back. But if you're a true competitor, you want your coach to get you better. And that's what these guys did. And uh, they really did have blind faith in me, which uh, fortunate for me, it was uh, rewarded. But there were some times where I'm sure those guys said, man, I think we're rowing the wrong direction. But uh, they stuck stuck with me. And, you know, it, it's hard work. It's preparation. It's organizational skills. It's uh, tweaking something that's not going the right way. And if you have good people in your staff and good athletes, you'll be okay. You mentioned players just want to get better, and they want their coach to help make them better. You've got such extensive experience in the NFL. I'm curious, Coach, how often are players proactive in coming to you on your Pittsburgh Maulers team to ask, hey, what do I need to work on if I'm going to get to the NFL? What do you see in my game to help me with how proactive are your players in coming to you about what they need to improve with? Well, I would say at first, not at all, because I think there's a feeling out process of who is this guy? What does he know? What does he want? How will he help me? And I think after, oh, probably three weeks of training camp and a couple of games, they found out, oh, he's for me. I think I can trust this guy. So then they started coming to me. And I think the point that helped us is uh, one week uh, we were at practice and the Cleveland Brown scout was here to scout the players. He was doing his job. And I walked over to the scout and pointed out every single guy I thought was worthy of his consideration because not all of them are. And they understand that too. And so um, when we uh, broke our stretch, I stopped the practice and pointed over. And I said, do you see that guy there? And they go, yeah. And I said, what logo does he have on his shirt? And they go, Cleveland Browns. And I go, he's here to watch you guys. He's going to evaluate you guys. If you guys perform, it's like the field of dreams, they will find you. And that, I think, was kind of the term, turning point of they actually saw an NFL scout there. Even though they come to the games, they just don't see them. And uh, I think we'll have a number of guys that are end uh, end up on a on an NFL roster because you know we have all USFL players, we have players that do an outstanding job. You know we have a punter 
That's outstanding. Our kicker made a 59-yard field goal last week. So we have a number of people across the board, and I believe some coaches that really do belong in the uh, next level. Ray Horton with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Are you also, mentally, are you also a part of the group that you're discussing about wanting to prove that you're ready to be a head coach at the next level? I I don't think you would have joined the lawsuit with Flores or with Wilkes if you didn't want to discuss it. Um... And it was based on what Mike Malarkey's comments reflected whenever he got the job and you interviewed for the job here in Nashville. Are, are you also trying to show like, hey, like you mentioned blind faith in joining USFL as a head coach. Uh, you, you feel passed over in that way at the NFL, don't you? Uh, I don't think they're necessarily congruent. Um, I did this solely for the opportunity to be with my son. I, I, they had offered an earlier job to me in the USFL and I turned it down. And, um, when they came back and said, well, would you like to work with your son? I said, I'm in. And, uh, it's been a unmitigated joy and I can't explain it to you unless you're a father or a mother or a parent, what it's like to, uh, work with your child that, you know, obviously you grew up mentoring And uh, then later in life, get a chance to come back and say, son, I'm going to be with you for 14 weeks, whether you like it or not. And uh, he doesn't know this, but I mean, I enjoy the dinners that we have after practice. I enjoy watching him on the field mature into a great young head coach. So for me, this is, and I told Daryl this, he didn't know it, but I told him, I said, Daryl, I'll do this for free to to work with my son. So I I am really, stealing from the USFL right now because I'm doing something I truly love because I'm doing it with my son and uh, the coaching part of it. I've always known I'm a, I'm an outstanding leader of men and I don't need somebody to validate me that way to say, Oh, well you could have, you should, I don't need that. Uh, This is so much joy for me and it's really more of a pride factor of being a father, watching your your son grow up to be a better coach than you are. And what I mean by that, when I was 31, he's 31, he's turning 31. When I was 31, I was still playing. I was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. So I could not have done what he's doing. Sure, could I call a play if the coach didn't get one in? Well, sure. But I couldn't run a defense, call the game, have the number one. No. So for me... It's not the validation that uh, some owner said, hey, I want you to run my franchise. It's a validation that, you know, I raised a son that turned out to be a a great young man and a better coach. So you had NFL opportunities uh, to coach. This was about just coaching with your son and and not just whatever's going on in the court system. Oh, I I never had the opportunity to coach to be a head coach in the NFL or college. Nobody, you know, nobody ever offered me that opportunity. Did I have interviews? Well, sure I did but I never had the opportunity. So this isn't where I'm sitting at today. Isn't, isn't a, I told you so moment. This is, man, I'm so proud of my son. And I'm so proud of a 50 group, 50 men in that locker room that trusted me that I could get them where they wanted to get. That's a validation for me. Had Malarkey not said publicly that the interview was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be named the head coach. Would you have joined the lawsuit at all? Well, that's one of those things. 
if you don't know what's inside of a black hole because nothing escaped from the black hole, how do I know what happens behind the boardroom door? And I, I, I was under the impression, Coach, by the way, that your interview was great. Uh, was out, one was of three finalists, right, I believe, yeah. at, the, at the time. And it was you, outstanding. And you were, it was an outstanding interview. And in fact, the things that we talked about, they implemented. But, but still, you needed Malarkey's validation of that is what put it over the top for you to go public with it. Well, I, I, I go back to the analogy of the black hole. If I don't know, I don't know. I mean, if, if you get in a car accident, you know you're in a car accident. If you get a broken arm, you kind of feel it. But when something happens behind the closed door, when you're not there, how do you know? Well, and I also think about, I'm watching the game this, I think it was this past weekend, and your son's getting a lot of publicity. Yeah. Know, they're going up in the coaching box, and they're, they're talking about your relationship with him and how he's molded that defense. And there's a lot of good coming out of that with getting some good, not just word of mouth, but national television publicity for your son. Um, how much of the lawsuit could help him? In the future, right? Not necessarily maybe even your generation of coaches, but the next generation of coaches get opportunities. Well, you know, you asked earlier about um, the players' opportunity. Well, this league affords, you know, some players a second chance, an opportunity. And in one of our early meetings, you know, when we talked about trust and learning and all these things that go into a, a football team, a championship football team, Part of that is I told them my favorite word in the dictionary is opportunity, bar none. And I explained why. I said, if you're, I think, a person on earth, you just want the opportunity. Now, if you fail, that's on you. If you succeed, that's on you. But give me the opportunity to do that. So this league has provided that. And I'm grateful that it, it is here for the players and the coaches and it it's epitomized, I think, by Jaron, who was, you know, the assistant coach of the year. So his peers thought he was a better coach than I was, which he is. I didn't get named coach of the year. He did. So, uh, yes, will it help? Maybe it gives vi visibility, but you still have to own it. You have to earn it. But at the same point, you have to be given the opportunity. Coach, where are we on the timetable of what's proceeding through the court system? I know this can take a, a while now that it's uh, at the process that it's in. Yeah, uh, it, it just like any other trial that goes on, it's uh, more hurry up and wait than there is action. And we're in the hurry up and wait phase. And uh, what I'm doing is uh, living my life. I'm coaching a great group of guys. Um, uh, I sold my airplane today. I'm buying another one as soon as we get out of here. And so I'm going on with life. That will happen when it happens. I can't control, you know, the NFL, the court system, the paperwork. So what do I do? I, I try to uh, be a good person and be a good coach, a good role model, and trying to win just one more game, baby. Uh, so the, the airplane's not like a motorcycle or a boat where you, the two favorite days are the day you buy one and the day you sell it. Uh, oh, you're, no. You're yeah. selling and buying a new one as well. Oh, immediately. Uh, yeah, there's an old thing about, I could say it, but I can't, but okay. about the wheels and, and things like that. But for me, it's been a joy. And I, I tell my players every day, I came out of retirement flying and golfing every day. I do one one day and one the other. Every other day I, I fly or golf. I said, I came out for this. So, you know, we better have a great year. And I tell them all the time, don't waste my time because I could be out golfing today. 
And they understand the meaning of that of let's not waste time. Let's get better. Let's work hard. And uh, we will see what happens at the end. And obviously nobody knew this. It's hard to go from worst to first. It is. It's a lot of work. And you have to have a few breaks along the way. But what I think our players would tell you is the process, how we went about it from the very first day of practice of the process. And the very first thing I told the players were, this is this is the truth. When we walked in, I said, I talked to the janitor last night. And this was the day before we got there. I told the janitor, never pick up anything off the floor. That's not your job. So I told the players, if there's anything on the floor, it will stay there until you pick it up. And to me, that's a respect thing. And our players are that way. Respect for the game, respect for the people that help you. So that's how we do it. We do it, what I would say, the professional, the proper respect way of the game and of people. 8 o'clock Eastern kickoff on Saturday, Pittsburgh and Birmingham. Coach Ray Horton has Thanks, been our Thanks, Coach. Guest. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much, Coach. Thanks, we'll guys. Good soon. luck. Four headlines next, including Dalvin Cook and signing with the Dolphins. Our thanks to Ray Horton for joining us ahead of uh, Saturday's USFL uh, championship game uh, against Birmingham. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, Fast-paced show today on this Thursday. And uh, looking forward to the, the Friday edition. Three o'clock Eastern is when we kick things off each and every weekday. Chad, uh, I know the reports are out that Dalvin Cook is mulling over several offers right it's just been reported on a different timeline than what the way we know deandre hopkins visits went right yeah and so i mean i i i would sign dalvin cook i also understand the market for running backs right now is not anywhere close to what dalvin cook is expecting uh what josh jacobs and saquon barkley believe they deserve in a long-term extension i'm i'm I've said I'm on their side. I just don't think they hold the leverage that some other positions would have given the same circumstances, namely wide receiver, defensive end, corner, and, of course, quarterback. Um, that being said, the Dolphins make a ton of sense. Short passing game. Uh, a lot left in the tank for Cook. But it would also be conceding that the Vikings were correct. And whatever pay cut they offered... And whatever salary is out there, it would be more or less, hey, I'm going back home with a chance to win a Super Bowl. I want to win a title. And he's got certainly the opportunity to do that with the Dolphins, who were right in it while Tua Tagovailoa was healthy a year ago. It'd be a great addition to an already stacked roster on offense. But aside from that, I'm curious how the Dolphins make it work uh, compared to the other teams that could offer more, given the depth chart and the salary cap space, they can all any team can make room. But the Dolphins have made room over the last couple of years to acquire talent on both sides of the football in order to be in the position they're in. If I'm a player, if I'm Dalvin Cook, if I'm a running back in this league, and this is pun intended, this all seems very fishy to me with the Dolphins. And let's say that the market is exactly what the Vikings told him 
right? That the Vikings right. got getting rid of him because they didn't want to pay that much money for a running back, whatever the reason. It just is odd that if you're Dalvin Cook and you've had his level of production, you mean to tell me there's not one team out there that's going to give me what we feel is close to our value right now? Or is there some funny business going on across the league that everyone's going to support the Vikings ownership and not pay more? I don't think there's funny business going on. I just think that this is legitimately how the league values the running back position right now. And it's not that highly. And that's unfortunate for Dalvin Cook, who I think is still a very good player, but he's not going to get anywhere close to what he wants. It still just seems weird to me that not one team is saying, we are a Dalvin Cook away from being a true factor. That's what we need. That team should be the Dolphins. I, I agree with you, Hutton. That's the most likely scenario. But if the money's nowhere close to what he's been asking for or what he wants, that's odd to me. Yeah. That's uh, odd that it's that way across the entire league. You know, well, and I think, too, like the, the teams know, like they, if they sit around and wait, and, 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 and Miami would also know this. Dalvin Cook's the one that's mentioning perfect fit with Miami. Uh, you've got the the run game coordinator from San Francisco and Mike McDaniel that's now calling plays and the head coach. And you have a an offense that's set up for him to flourish, not just through the passing game, but of course the run game that needs to, you know, become more dynamic. And they've tried to do that via trade at the deadline last year. They've retained Raheem Mostert and uh, a handful of other players through the draft or free agency. Uh, Cook would be better than any of those options. But Cook also told Pat McAfee after a report was out there that he had been offered a contract from Miami that he declined the visit to the Dolphins, which is also just kind of strange in all of it. We'll, we'll see. Uh, he's 27 years old. It's not, to me, it's just, it, it's a different feel with him than some of the other aging backs. And I think the Vikings were just going into more of a, a pass first offense with O'Connell compared to the run first with Zimmer and the defensive mind. <coughs> Uh, situation that he was in uh, tough to get 11 million whenever the franchise tag right now is just over 10 and an extension for a 27 year old running back just isn't happening now in today's league but it is odd to me that a guy of that caliber who's one of the top running backs in well, football he also had a torn labrum yeah so he's got that too but still it's weird to me that not one team is willing to go big for him as a missing piece to a possible great season yeah, uh, I mean, again, I would bring him in. Yes. But I understand what the Vikings are saying. They're not going to break no, the No, I get bank. it with the Vikings, but there's that there's 31 other teams that could do business with Dalvin Cook. And you mean to tell me there's not one who says, this is a massive upgrade at a significant position that he's different than most every other plug-and-play guy in the league at that position. Let's get the deal done. Chad, each morning you and I will uh, give – our take, we, we give our column, so to speak, for uh, Fox News and Fox News Radio for the Fox News Rundown. Uh, the recent one that you had involves inventing games based on you as a, as a coach, you coaching your daughter and her teammates and the fun that's involved with all that because everyone, I think, can relate to this on and off the field. So growing up, this would happen all the time. You know, it's one thing to go out in the front Cut yard. Ball. We had a basketball right. goal. That's what I think of when I think of inventing yeah, games. Yeah, wall ball, you know, was a yeah. big thing at our local ballpark we'd play too. Yeah. 
Um, but you come up with something, you start doing it. It's like the episode of Friends where they're just throwing the ball back and forth over and over. Yeah. Then it becomes a time thing, and how many times can you go? How many times consecutively can you catch the ball one-handed? Or whatever. Everything's Maybe you a play around the house on a yeah. rainy day, yep. and you start throwing a ball around with your friend or, or whatever it may be. Uh, recently, one that my daughter and I came up with was she has a hard time catching pop flies in the field, and she plays second base. So to get her accustomed to using two hands to catch the ball, because she's not really big enough to always squeeze it with one hand in the glove to catch it, uh, I've thrown a tennis ball off the back of my house off a brick wall into the air, and she has to judge it off the house and try to catch it two-handed. And this has become a game to see how many times consecutively can she catch the ball. So I think we're up over 20 now that she's caught, but... It's a difficult game because I'm going to probably, speaking of torn labrum, I'm going to tear my labrum throwing the ball off the house eventually. <laughs> but you're throwing it high and hard off the John. house in a certain way, trying to get it close to her to catch it. And playing this game, it brings back such fond memories of childhood where it's not just playing football or baseball or basketball or hockey or whatever you grew up playing. A big part of the fun is showing some creativity. Let's invent a game out of nowhere. Let's play home run derby in my front yard the way I did through my 20s yeah. with friends who'd come over for no Sunday supper. Yeah. My parents would cook and buddies would come over and we'd get there early, late in the afternoon, whenever it was, and play home run derby with a tennis ball, hitting a baseball bat on a tennis ball and trying to clear the light pole in my front yard. And we just did it kind of like a gentleman's agreement. We'd see all the way across where the light pole would go and we would judge whether or not it was a home run or not, and someone in the outfield would judge it. Those games are the most fun. Love those memories. So, look, it's, there's physical benefits to playing sports, playing games. I think the mental, emotional benefits of inventing something and making it your own and playing it with your kids or whoever, your buddies, uh, friends in the neighborhood, is so much fun. And it's such a great memory of childhood to me of with my brothers and sisters or buddies inventing something on our own to play. The paper cup, not the plastic cups, but the paper cup, like the Dr. Pepper cups. You remember yeah. these like the, the, at the fair, the carnival, whatever? That would be the cup ball, right? Or you get an aluminum foil or something and you wrap it up. Uh, a little bit better than like a wiffle ball, right? Another that, one that that, came, That's what comes to mind for me. Another one that came later for me, like well into my 30s probably, visiting my parents and grandparents' old place was a basketball goal in the front yard and just having a small like Nerf football you could launch. And try to and hit it. Trying to yeah. score a, a goal from different parts of the property and you would just alternate. Like You would get five throws and then whoever was with you would throw five times. You see how many times you could get it. Then sometimes you'd be there 45 minutes to an hour trying to end on a make. <laughs> Like you would just you know determine I'm not leaving well, you until would have I make, a make one and of then these. You miss one. You right get after. so close over yeah. and over. Like I'm not leaving until I make this this throw, this <laughs> shot into the basket. So much fun. I mean, things like that we take for granted so often. But I've got the spark back with my daughter Evie playing the game off the house where she's trying to catch the tennis ball, and I can That's see awesome. that I can see the little spark in her eye where she will get frustrated. When she drops it, because I'll get on her at times and call her Butterfingers, which I did last night in the game, too, because she dropped a pop-up. Uh, she gets a little frustrated with me. But you can see that, no, let's go again. You know, she'll get her personal record, and then she'll want to keep going to see how many times in a row she can catch it. I absolutely love that. that that's past and present right, right there. Maybe the future would include Lucy, uh, you know, 
finishing swim lessons. We've got to get Lucy through one Fingers damn crossed. swim drill, uh, swim class, before I start playing any games with her in the backyard. Chad, we, we were discussing uh, some, some movies that are coming. I'm l- really looking forward to uh, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. That's yep, coming out this on fall. On Apple TV+. Plus. Um, well, based on the, the, the book uh, written, uh, DiCaprio, Scorsese, it, it's coming out. Oppenheimer, it's being debated whether or not it will receive a theatrical release in Japan. Is that right? Just based on, of course, the the uh, details of what all of this is about and w- with the atom bomb? Yeah, I mean, it's about Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, who uh, helped with a team of scientists create the atomic bomb that was dropped twice on the nation of Japan to end World War II, to at least end that part of World War II with Japan versus everyone else. And uh, there's a big debate going on within the country whether or not they're going to put it in theaters and show it. Now, They've aired things. There was an X-Men movie that depicted, apparently at one point, I have not seen it, maybe Wolverine, that depicted the bombing of Nagasaki. And they put it in Japan, and it did terribly. Most superhero movies do very well in Japan, and people did not go to the theater to see this because it had a scene depicting that that part of World War II. So they're saying, let's not even give the theatrical release, and if you want to watch it, watch it well, after the Well, another theater. example was Flags of Our Father, the two-part movie from Clint Eastwood, Flags of Our Father, uh, or Fathers, and then um, Letters from Iwo Jima. Well, it was the retelling of a battle in the island-hopping campaign in World War II. One of the movies was from the American side, Flags of Our Fathers. The other one was from the Japanese side. Well, the Letters from Iwo Jima, the one told from the Japanese perspective, yeah. did great in Japanese box office, and the American side did not. So now there's this company that distributes all movies in theaters in Japan that they're debating on whether or not they're going to show Oppenheimer at all to a Japanese audience. Thinking about it, it I read this headline me. and read the story from Variety, and I just found that fascinating. I've never thought of it. About them not wanting to show that movie, and you quickly you get it. I just saw the question, will Japan show Oppenheimer? And read the story from Variety and fascinated me. So I wanted to pass that along. Chad, uh, is, this an, is this a sign that everything has jumped the shark? We've got a minute left or so. The match is tonight, or today, in Vegas. With Didn't Kelsey and Mahomes. And, exactly. Because Mickelson, and you don't have uh, Spieth or Rory involved. Is that the factor? Or is this just... Uh, it's We've just, seen it. We've seen it, but it's also my, I mean, it's Kelsey mic'd up. It's Mahomes mic'd up. Like, I, I wonder, has it jumped a shark or is it just not the same play based on whatever else is going on? And it's our fault that we haven't noticed that it's tonight or today, I should say, in, in Vegas. I think, Hutton, that to answer your question, it has become the slam dunk competition of sports. It has jumped the shark. It's Steph Curry and Clay no Thompson one, no against one cares. Kelsey and Mahomes. Until they get, you know, Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins back in a dunk competition, not going to matter. And until you get the right pairing of celebrity personalities in the match, probably not going to matter. Yeah. I, t- I mean, I, I really like the concept of it. Oh, I do too. When it first started, I thought it was great. And this is what uh, Mickelson pointed to. It kind of sparked the whole thing of why he wanted to change the rules and regulations and the power of the PGA Tour and the rights that they have over, you know, his highlights at the Masters or anywhere um, that he's going to have to pay a million dollars for some of the best shots he's ever, you know, hit just to show this on the match with with Turner. That's one of the things he pointed to. Saudi Arabia owns golf. 
just a few months later. Yeah. Crazy. Got paid. He could, he could print these highlights now. Back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern for Hot Mike with Adam Withrow.